Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Yo, technology, what is it all about? We get a really big motivational push when we go into new industries and people tell us we have no position being in those industries and that drives us as well, right? It's like, you know, okay, well, that's, you know, that's a motivator for us, right? right. We love to hear that, right? Tell us that we don't belong here and we'll, and we'll stay here and we'll, and we'll continually try to prove and, and, and show why because we think it's needed, right? And because we really believe that it's needed as well. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I'm your host, Danny Fortson, the West Coast correspondent for the Sunday Times. And this week, we have kind of a funny one and I find super fascinating. How about turning CO2, you know, the thing that's frying the planet, into booze? You heard that right. Gregory Constantine is the co-founder of a company called, well, they're called Air Company which is taking CO2 emissions from industrial processes and turning them into alcohol. They have their own brand of vodka, called Air Vodka. And the long-term plan goes far beyond helping us just get drunk, guilt-free, or making us smell good. They also have a perfume, obviously. They want to ramp up operations so that they can make things like jet fuel um, the same way and do it in a way that is obviously way more sustainable. And so it's kind of an off-the-wall idea, and it's an interesting approach. It's a bit like Elon Musk starting to go for, you know, premium products like the Roadster until they figure out how to, you know, get production costs down to then target the mass market or things that just require much larger volumes like jet fuel, for example. So we have Greg to come on and talk about how and why he started his many years couch surfing, trying to make this idea work, and now finally starting to scale up, having raised some money, which is itself a whole new challenge. So anyway, it's a fascinating idea. It's a fun story, and you guys are going to like it. So here he is, Gregory Constantine of Air Company. Enjoy. So rather than me describe what you guys do, why don't you tell me what the big idea is? Because it's a little off the wall. Absolutely. Um, So our business has been built around and, and centered around taking carbon dioxide, one of the most problematic and pollutant gases on planet Earth, and turning it into products that can be useful and products that can be building blocks for other products as well. And, you know, what I mean by that is some of the, some of the products that we create are these 
industrial chemicals and alcohols and fuels that can be standalone products on their own, or they can be intermediaries to create other products, or you can combine them with other things to create products as well. And so that's been really the basis for our business has been really centered around how do we take carbon dioxide, which has always been deemed as a problem, and it is a problem, how do we turn it into a solution and a new building block for other things? And it's a pretty wide range of stuff you're making with CO2, right? It can be wide range. Um, We've been very systematic in our approach to it, uh, but as we have and have had a, a moderate level of success along the way, we're continuing to widen you know, that scope of what we do as we have success along the way. And, and what I mean by that is we started out by creating ethanol, which is this alcohol, right? And we're making ethanol from carbon dioxide. And when the volumes of ethanol that we were creating in the earliest stage of our business are relatively low and the cost to produce is relatively high, instead of going into you know, a fuel market for ethanol where the cost to produce is really, really low and the volumes you need are high. We said, let's target the opposite of that. So let's go into industries like the like the beauty industry and the beverage industry where, you know, a bottle of vodka is an example. Mm. The amount of ethanol you need is relatively low and you can yeah. sell it at a, at a pretty high price point. So that was kind of the the strategy and approach that we've that we've taken for for that specific industrial product being ethanol. So Sucking CO2 out of the air and then turning it into booze or perfume. That's right. Exactly. It's a, it's a great proof point of technology. And what we really think of it as a way is to educate people as well, right? What, what better way to, to try to understand a totally new technology as well than when you've actually got a physical product in your hand that is a, an emulation of that product, right? It's a, it's a real physical version of the product and it becomes real for people. And so you know, as you started off this conversation, we're doing some things that are off the wall and what better way to, to, to show people that than actually to physically show them as well. So yeah, these products are a great real life visualization of it. Are those products kind of marketed as such because it brings to mind something like um, fair trade or something like that label, you know, where people are like, oh, like there's a bunch of perfumes, but this one is actually made out of environmental CO2. That's pretty cool. I'm going to buy that because of that specific quality or whatever we definitely talk about it for sure and it's definitely embedded in the communications of the product as well um you know we also stress that you don't have to compromise or sacrifice quality in order to be more sustainable as well and so for us we want to make sure that whatever product we put out whether it's our aviation fuel or our consumer products that it's actually still just the best quality product it'll function the best it'll work the best and you don't have to compromise quality whatsoever in order to have regenerative practices in how you manufacture that product as well. So sustainability is at the core of it, but also quality really is as well. Before we get into the process and how you're actually doing that, because that's obviously a big piece of this, can we go backward and just talk about like where you're from? Because you're definitely not from New York, even though that's where you're coming from. And kind of how you came to start uh, the company. I'm from Australia, um, so definitely not New York. And like New York, an island, very different island in, in, in a lot of shapes. And, you know, growing up around the ocean, my, my father was a life, like a lifeguard, a lifesaver on the, on the beach in Australia. Um, you know, growing up around the ocean and being surrounded by the environment in Australia, you then take, you know, a, you know, a kid essentially and then move him to this other island surrounded in this concrete jungle working for a really large corporation is when I really started to become aware of how detrimental we've been inadvertently 
to our surroundings and to the planet and through our manufacturing and through all these processes. And that's what really kind of spurred the want to go on and work on something that's that's going to be more meaningful than, you know, whatever I was doing at that point in time. And you couple that with the fact that I met my now business partner, you know, Dr. Stafford Sheehan, who, you know, had been st- studying some of the things that we're doing now during his PhD at Yale. And we said, look, let's come together and let's work on something where we can create impact. And, you know, that's the goal of everything we've done. It's how do we, how do we continually create impact? How do we go into industries that have always been deemed as hugely problematic and try to incite change? And, you know, we've gone into multiple industries along that way with that mindset, which is even if we fail, as long as we're inciting change and sparking a conversation, then that's, that's a massive, massive win for us um, and a massive win for the industry as well, because, what you learn from is from the failures as well. You don't just learn from your successes. And so, you know, we love to tackle really, really tough problems. And we get told all the time that we're not going to succeed and that we're not going to get, get, you know, get through all that sort of stuff. So it's it's similar to a lot of other startups in that respect. So that's kind of the trajectory in the story. And we really build a business plan and a business model around it by looking at the failures or the kind of, you know, the, the lack of success of other companies over the course of the last 10, 20, 30 years that have tried to commercialize technologies like this and said, how can we be different? And so that's how probably why we're doing things that are a little bit different to, to what you would think about from a chemical or industrial company. So where in Australia did you grow up? Sydney. Grew up in Sydney. Oh, in yep. Sydney. Oh, okay. Yep. So was your dad on like Bondi Beach or something? He grew up in a beach called Maroubra. It's a few beaches south of Bondi, but between Coogee and Maroubra. I grew up in the in the inner west suburbs of Sydney. Um, you know, we've got a, a Lebanese mom and a, and a Greek Australian father, and yeah, moved over to to the states in my early twenties to New York. So safe to say, you grew up surfing. Definitely grew up in the water for sure, and still try to get out and surf whenever I can, whenever whenever there's an opportunity, which there aren't too many. I was going to say, if you're living in New York, though, you're not surfing very much. Nah, not in New York at all. You know, New Jersey gets pretty good surf in the in the winter time, but then I'm from a warm temperature, and you're not trunking it out there. Nah, nah, not at all. Why did you come to the to the states? Was it for university? So I finished my, well, I guess what we call our undergraduate degrees in Australia. So I finished my degrees in Sydney at Sydney University, and Australia offers a one year work and travel visa to the US if you if you come within a year of graduating from your degree. What did you study? I studied a media and communications degree in the arts and with a focus in, in law as well. And I always wanted to kind of get to the US. I thought there was, you know, a lot of opportunity to be had here. Was eventually recruited to a to a company called Diageo, where I, where I worked and 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 kind of birthed my professional career, I would say, which then led me to kind of going on to starting a um, company. And what did you do at Diageo? I was working on the global brand team, um, which is kind of the marketing department of, of a lot of their brands and working on how can we, how can we reshape how people think about some of their brands basically and you know, worked on small brands, everything through to what was the la- and was and still is the largest vodka brand in the world, which is, which is Smirnoff, which was really focused on how do we start bringing purpose to these brands and starting to kind of like instill purpose into these brands as well. And how long were you there? I was there for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Probably about three years or so. At what point did you say, I'm going to chuck it all in and try to do a startup? I went to Diageo because I'd had no experience working in a corporate environment right, at all. I'd finished my degrees. I, would, I was working a variety of different jobs throughout Australia and had an opportunity to go and, and learn from really big business, right? And, and kind of 
see how these big businesses operate and kind of like, you know, what makes them successful and, you know, what makes them successful is their rigor and is their process. And taking that learning and trying to apply it into what we do was, was a bit of the stepping stone for what we do as well. What I'd really learned is all of those great things, but also how hard it is to actually incite change in big business. And I'm a a very, very impatient person at the best of times. And <laughs> I get so equally frustrated just when I'm not able to kind of like progress and to push things. And, you know, the dynamic of a, of a huge business like that, the reality is it is challenging to try to like really incite change as well. And so going out and trying to venture on your own or with a partner was felt like really the right thing and felt like where I, A, I would be able to work on something that was actually meaningful and purposeful and impactful to me, but more importantly, something where I could help dictate and actually insight change and really try to push the needle, which you can do at large organizations. It just takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of momentum and it takes a variety of other kind of skill sets, which I thought I already had. So that was kind of the impetus for going out and trying to create something and start something. And so did you come up with a pitch deck and start raising money or did you just like quit and then start like how what was that process like like pretty much left the business and begun starting to work on what we were doing and me and staff you know staff my business partner had just finished his phd out of yale at a, at a similar time i was in a transitional process from a visa perspective you know which which played a role oh, yeah, which i was yeah, i was yeah. getting my green card at the time which i now have and we really said, let's do exactly that. Let's start putting together what we think is the framework for this business and let's go out and let's test the market, right? Let's go out and survey and speak to countless, not only customers, but bar owners, restaurateurs, people in technology space, people at universities, all the way through because we had a vision of where this business can be most successful is in the fuel industries that we're in now. However, in order to get there, it's going to take a lot of time. It's mm-hmm. going to take capital. It's going to take convincing people. And if we look at clean tech 1.0, which happened a decade before, all of the failures came from folks that were trying to scale too quickly and get to these really large markets and spending all this money without making any money in a business. So we said, we have an opportunity here to try to generate revenue for a business through these products. It'll allow us to work through regulatory processes, allow us to work on technology. It'll allow us to fail as well and buy us that ability to fail along the way. The cost implication isn't as important as what it is if you're trying to make a fuel from the get-go and will allow, give us that elasticity to actually you know, try to be successful over a period of time. We're really thinking about kind of the the longer game versus just this really short game and and you know that kind of birthed the, the strategy. And then, yes, we went out to try to raise money and how did that go because you guys are two first-time entrepreneurs neither of you have kind of run a business before i presume you're getting a lot of uh doors slammed in your faces or at least polite no's yeah everyone said no it was just all no's all the time <laughs> all no's all the time pretty much yep um if you kind of like rewind to 2017 2018 the conversation around sustainability as a whole yeah. and climate change is it's it's a it's a completely different landscape. And yep. so then when you've got two guys in their 20s trying to convince people that you're going to eventually try to help save the planet and you're going to start with vodka, it's a really strange thing for people to hear at that point in time as yeah. well and even maybe today. You know, we bootstrapped the business ourselves for a lot of years, paid for it ourselves for a lot of years. We had to really hunker down and, and we said to each other, like, we just have to prove to people that that we can do this. And that's what we did. We went out and we 
figured out a way to build our first prototype facility, which we still have that reactor still running in Brooklyn and show people. And we were a two-man team for a lot of years. From 2017 through to pretty much the end of 2019, when we actually launched our first product, we were we were a two-man team. And you know, a lot of true blood, sweat, and tears went into, into getting it off the ground. And so we were fortunate enough that we were able to bring on a, a couple of hires at that point in time and then slowly you know, start to convince people that what we were doing at least had potential. And what was that first product in 2019? It was a vodka product, the world's first vodka that was made from, from carbon dioxide, basically. Your own brand. Our own brand. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, Live and move to the UK. This leads perfectly to the question of like, actually, how does this work? Like, how are you doing this? Because um, we have a lot of climate tech folks on here. And I don't know where you're getting the CO2 from. But I know certainly direct air capture is very, very, very difficult and very expensive. And even carbon capture is difficult, expensive, etc., so what, yeah, how's it work? What's the process? So we, we currently get our CO2 from traditional ethanol fermentation plants when they release their biogenic CO2. We work with partners that capture that CO2 before it's emitted into the atmosphere. And, and, and that's, the, that's the CO2 that we utilize in our, in our production process. Our future facilities in the US will all be biogenic CO2. Uh, we definitely agree that you know things like direct air capture and direct o- and ocean capture as well have some work to be done on coming down that cost curve from energy yeah. intensity and the rest but it's a sum of all parts for the future right you know we need all new technologies in order to do so and like similar for us as an early stage company we're we're more expensive to, to produce and we will be for a little bit of time to come but 
you know, without the work that goes into it, you're unable to come down that cost curve and without working with partners and legislative changes as well. So we take that carbon dioxide, we combine it with hydrogen. Uh, we make the hydrogen ourselves via elect- electrolysis. So we run electrolyzers. We're agnostic on our source of CO2 or hydrogen, as in we can use any type of CO2 or hydrogen, but the greener and the more cost-effective is the route that we will go down, yeah. which is why biogenic's great and as is you know electrolysis. And biogenic, what does that mean? Yeah, so biogenic essentially means that the production of it is coming from a biogenic source in that when you ferment corn, corn is a is a bio source. So the rather than you know using the the emissions of an industrial source, which I you're see. going and, and create yeah, and create the emissions of fossil fuel production, which you know you can So it's the CO2 from create turning corn into ethanol. CO2 is a byproduct. You take that CO2 and turn it into vodka. Yeah. Exactly. Turn into ethanol, which then makes the consumer product of vodka, correct? Yes. So you combine it with hydrogen and does that give you ethanol? Sorry, I'm not a chemist. So when we, yeah, no, you're, you're totally fine. And I'm not a chemist either. I've had to do a lot of on the job training. We make a suite of alcohols in a mixture, alcohols and, you know, and things like kerosenes as well, which make up our aviation fuel. So when we combine the carbon dioxide with the hydrogen inside our, our reactors, we have catalysts in there. And when the, when the CO2 and the hydrogen essentially combine with our catalyst, the reaction that it causes creates a mixture of alcohols in water. Mm. Those alcohols can be everything from you know, methanol to small traces of butanol and, and ethanol as well. What we've done over the course of the last six or seven years is, is essentially start to be very selective on the types of outputs that we want. So we know that ethanol is an output that we want because we know we can go into, the, into these consumer industries. Yeah. Uh, you know, we know that you know, the kerosenes that we create and that we can kind of tweak for make up what can be aviation fuel as well. So we spent the last several years really working on, on our catalyst development to be able to be very selective for those types of specific outputs that we know can create value in industries and also help decarbonize industries as well. So creating ethanol is one thing, but actually creating a vodka that is like, you know, marketable and tastes good is a whole different thing. So did you partner with your old friends at Diageo or somebody? Or like, how did you kind of get to the point where you're actually making a vodka? A lot of taste testing, Danny. A lot of taste (laughs) testing. Um, No, at at the point in time that we started, we were far too small to be working with these large groups. So we really sat down and said, you know, like, what do we want this to taste like? We know that because of the lack of impurities in our ethanol product, that the product is going to be really, really pure. And I don't, and I'm not sure if you're aware, but you know, vodka is essentially just 40% ethanol, 60% water. That, that's, mm. that's, that's what vodka is. So mm. at a base level, just knowing that our, our product is so pure that it's going to be significantly smoother. We have a great starting and building block and then just working through flavor profiles from a, from a water perspective, but staff, my business partner is a chemist and what better person to really formulate that than, mm. than, than, than a chemist himself as well. So we worked on it ourselves. We're fortunate now that we now go and work with large corporations in order to integrate technology into their kind of you know, profile and pipeline. But it, w- it was just us at, at the start. And so what is the vodka called? It's called Air Vodka. We've won golds at every blind taste test kind of international program, everything from the San Francisco Spirits Awards, which is kind of regarded as the best of the best through to the global luxury masters in the UK. So mm. it tastes great. You know, when we launched the product, we were in almost every Michelin star restaurant in New York that sold spirits, which was prior to COVID. So really strong validation from, from the market. And, 
yeah, obviously we're biased because we created it, but you know, there is a lot of unbiased opinion that it stacks up against its peers as well. And was that the thing that got you your first big round of funding? That plus a few other things allowed us to get our Series A round of funding. And what I would say is, you know, proof of a track record of having the ability to commercialize products, right? We we commercialize a few separate consumer products over the course of those few years. We did a sanitizer during the pandemic and we did a, a perfume as well. But more importantly, track record of progress and deployment of technology, because it's really, really difficult to actually not only have a concept for technology, but to actually go out and create, develop, commercialize, produce from it, then put a product in market for any early stage business. That's a really, really challenging hurdle to be able to overcome. And we were able to do that and and do it with validation of some of the best partners in the world that we have now within our business. And so that kind of technological validation, business validation, and then product validation allowed us to kind of bring on some, some, some more serious capital, I would say. What is the plan longer term? Because like obviously making alcohol or perfume volume wise isn't just a completely different kettle of fish than like making fuel or jet fuel or what what have you. So what is the kind of the long term goal? Yeah, so the, the long term goal has actually been the same since the start. And if you look at our, you know, our very, very first pitch decks, we had this graph in there which had fuel at the bottom of the graph where the TAM was the biggest, the volumes needed were the, were the largest, but the price per liter was the, the, the yeah. slimmest by far yeah. versus up the top where the bar graph was so small and the price per liter was the highest. And so for us, it's always been systematically going down that kind of bar graph to get towards these huge, large TAM industrial markets, which is the goal for us. Because that's where, to your point, the volumes you need and you require is where you have the the maximum amount of impact. And like I started the call by saying like, that's how and why we started the business was how do we have the most amount of impact? And it's in those large industrial markets. We've mm. just approached it in a different way by going, let's work towards this versus then just trying to go straight for it from the start and fail or, mm. or potentially fail. And that's the goal for us. It's how do we see technology? I mean, I've got a sign behind me right here that says, why we do it, how we do it, and what we do. And it's why we do it is to, you know, to end extinction, to try to help curb climate change. How we do it is we create scalable modular climate technology. And and, and what we do is we transform industries. And, and, and that's the goal of the business, to go into industries and, and help transform them with technology. And if, if, if it can be our technology, amazing. If we fail and someone else tries and they succeed because they saw us try, amazing as well. And, and that's the goal. Well, it's funny, just the idea of basically a startup vodka company then becoming a jet fuel company, for example. Um, But beyond scaling the technology, it's also getting the scale of the CO2 inputs, like the feedstock. Like, how do you think about that? And I don't know if if like things like the Inflation Reduction Act, which are like going to plow probably hundreds of billions of dollars into things like carbon capture and storage on a very large scale and in lots of different ways and all that kind of stuff. If, if you're kind of riding that wave of this once in a generation government backing of all these carbon capture technologies, that will kind of be a tailwind for you guys. Yeah, so the Inflation Reduction Act is has given a lot of companies and birth new businesses and, and provided a lot of tailwinds. Our business existed long before the Inflation Reduction Act came into play and we've been focused on cost reduction and output significantly longer than since that was in place. So I would say that our business is not predicated on it whatsoever and that's the beauty about also creating products and generating revenue as well. But mm. 
it does provide a ton of value for US-based companies and companies in the space, right? And it only starts to provide more and more tailwinds for these companies. And the reason why it's come about is because of all the work that all these companies have been doing over the course of time and the large customer base that's now yearning for these types of products. So I would say that it's a phenomenal thing, but we're not predicated on it. In terms of things like carbon dioxide availability and the rest, even just from like a, a biogenic ethanol source of CO2, there's almost 300 ethanol plants throughout just the mm. US alone that are producing more emissions than we have the ability to deal with, you know, as it currently stands and will for a long period of time. So if we get to the point where there aren't enough CO2 emissions to go around, I think that's a pretty that's a pretty good point to get to, right? What we do need, however, is things like direct air capture and ocean capture where you're you know, you're actually taking excess emissions that are that, that are in the atmosphere and otherwise and having the ability to either sequester or utilize those as well and you know we're hopeful that technologies like that will over the course of time because of the efforts of department of energy that they're putting in because of the efforts of things like the IRA that will slowly come down the cost curve on new forms of technology like that so we can get access to a variety of sources of CO2 and hopefully curb climate change how did you guys live in New York for two years without a job? Yeah, it was tough. Staff stayed on my couch. My business partner stayed on my couch a lot, like a lot. <laughs> he would stay on my couch when I was staying on other people's couches a lot as well. Um, it was a challenge, right? But we w- we were just working on it, right? And just kind of, you know, essentially at that point in time, you know, being in your early mid twenties, having the ability to kind of do it because you're you're, you're so excited about what you're working on. You see the potential of what you're working on and you're probably a little bit ignorant to the things that you're doing as well. So it was definitely a massive challenge, but we've hopefully come out on the other side. Did you, uh, do you guys have to like, you know, I don't know, bartend or busk or do something to kind of make ends meet? Yeah, we still had like odd jobs here and there to kind of like try to make ends meet and, you know, whether it was consulting jobs, you know, staff had some, some other things from his you know, prior roles as well mm. that we were helping, that we were using to also help fund some of the work that we're doing now, right? Access to post-university programs and things like that. It was definitely a real struggle for sure. So now you've raised how much, what, $40 million-ish? Yeah, we've probably raised close to $50 million now. And yeah, we're in the process of, a, of another round of capital. So what do you have right now in terms of the actual operation? Like you had, you built that initial prototype. I presume you've obviously moved on that, but like where have you got to and where are you going in terms of scale? Yeah, we have three operational facilities in Brooklyn that all run 24-7. Um, we run a, a small scale reactor facility that has a number of smaller reactors, inclusive of, the, of that one that we had first built. Um, we have a lab that runs 24-7 as well. And we have our demonstration facility that, that's been running for almost a year and a half, almost two years in Brooklyn as well. We first deployed that piece of technology in Canada during COVID for 12 mm. months because it was built in Canada. We didn't have the ability to bring it across the borders. And we were a finalist in a competition called the XPRIZE. So we deployed it there and then we migrated it down to New York. So we run those those facilities and have run them for you know for a number of years now as well. Uh, we're now working on building out two larger facilities um, that we're going to have some announcements coming before the end of this year around as well. And the idea of turning CO2 emissions into fuel, the process you described sounds nice and clean and easy, but... I, <laughs> But in terms of like the actual science involved, how out there is it or how new is it or how novel is it? Because I think that's kind of 
an interesting aspect of this because I think you guys are a part of a whole generation of companies who are kind of thinking very differently about replacing large swathes of like the chemicals we use on a on a daily basis. We're definitely standing on the shoulders of giants, right? There's been a, a number of folks and organizations and companies over the last several decades that have worked on processes like this. You know, the Fisher-Trubbs process has existed since the 1920s, so 100 years, over 100 years almost. Um, what's allowed it to be prevalent today is the care and, and the want and the need mm. for products like this. And so when you couple that as the customer really wants it, whether it's a large airlines or, or the government, when you couple that with legislative changes that allow folks to come down the cost curve, and then you couple that with some of the products, like some of the products that we've made, it's allowed for people's risk appetite to try things like this because they aren't cost competitive yet, but they will be in the future to actually go out and back them and, and, and kind of really get behind them. Because in the past, if you had an offering for a fuel product or a chemical product that you said, hey, this is just going to be more expensive than fossil fuels and the customers didn't want anything other than the cheapest possible thing and they didn't know the implications of fossil fuels, they'd say, well, like, why would we take it, right? Yeah. Where now that conversation has changed for a multitude of reasons, which has allowed companies now to have more of those tailwinds and have more of those successes because of the dynamic of the world. Right. And then just in terms of price, how far away are you from, you know, you talk about that graph and then the the fuel price is way down there at the bottom. Do you see a path there and how far are you from getting to kind of cost parity? We definitely see a path there for sure. With things like the Inflation Reduction Act that allow you to get access to hydrogen credits and carbon dioxide credits, we see a pathway towards parity with, with fossil-based fuels by the end of this decade, and hopefully mm. before. Um, that's the pathway that we're working towards. You know, other folks claim that they're there now and that they're going to be there sooner. I think it's really predicated for us on the price of renewable power plays such a such a gating factor to that end cost. And because so much of our cost comes from the creation of green hydrogen through electrolysis, which essentially uses you know quite a bit of renewable power. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're seeing so many great companies that are cropping up that are working on the green hydrogen space and you're seeing things like the IRA that has a hydrogen tax credit, it's these things that really allow you to come down that cost curve sooner. So definitely a pathway towards cost reduction and, and parity, especially with things like legislative changes that are allowing us to get there sooner than what many have believed possible. Did you ever stop or ever quit and be like 18 months in couch surfing and been like, I'm done. I'm going to go get a job. Not once. We've definitely had thoughts along the way of like, don't get me wrong. You think along the way of like, man, this is, this is tough. Like, you know, we've been so close to, you know, running out of money and, you know, all these types of things. But staff and I share the same mindset that we will not give up. And if something doesn't work, there will be another pathway for it to work. And it just takes persistence and it takes smart work combined with hard work as well. But no, absolutely not. Where does that stubbornness or that drive in particular come from? So I lived in an immigrant household and, you know, work ethic is definitely instilled in you in that household, right? Mm. Coming coming from that and just not not directly instilled, but seeing it, right? My yeah. folks still work six, seven days a week today in their 70s. And so that, that mentality is instilled and, you know, coming from a, a low income background, that kind of maybe chip on your shoulder drives you somewhat. And I think that staff and I both share that, that same sentiment and mm. maybe some of that chip as well on that drive. And we get a really big motivational push when we go into new industries and people tell us we have no position being in those industries and 
that drives us as well, right? It's like, you know, okay, well, that's, you know, that's a motivator for us, right? right. We love to hear that, right? Tell us that we don't belong here and we'll, and we'll stay here and we'll, and we'll continually try to prove and, and, and show why because we think it's needed, right? And because we really believe that it's needed as well. So yeah, it's probably a combination of those, of those three things. Fascinating. Well, I was just looking online as we spoke. I've found air vodka, so I'm going to get myself a bottle and Fabulous. give it a go. Um, look, thank you for taking the time. I think it's really interesting and I wish you luck. It sounds like you've got uh, a lot of balls in the air, so good luck catching them all. <laughs> appreciate it. We'll keep trying. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Gregory for taking the time. I want to thank you all for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews, for telling your friends, for telling your neighbors, for telling your loved ones about this podcast. It really does help. I will be back next week. We have a couple really fun things in the hopper so do um stay tuned and i will be writing in the paper this week got a couple things coming that you'll also want to check out in the times or at the times.co.uk or in the actual physical paper that is it for me this week keep well enjoy the last waning days of summer and we'll talk to you very soon bye-bye Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.